It wasn't pretty, but the Jets beat the Bills Sunday to wrap up a 7-9 and season. We break down the 13-6 win in Buffalo, gangrene finishing the year strong, and look ahead to the offseason with New York Post football columnist Mark Canazero. We also are joined by a former Jet and Bill kick returner, receiver, and Wildcat specialist Brad Smith. All that and more next on Gangs All Here with the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome to Gangs All Here, a New York Jets podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host and Jets beat writer, Brian Costello. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cos. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your pods. We're joined today by our pal Mark Canazero and former Jet Brad Smith. Let's wrap up this long season. All right, another Jets season in the books. They finished 7-9 and nine after the 13-6 win over the Bills on Sunday. Uh, inside the Jets locker room was it was a happy place, even though this wasn't pretty. <laughs> it was uh, at times you were wondering if this was going to be a three-three tie. Uh, the Jets finally reached the end zone in the fourth quarter, but guys were happy after the game. Uh, you know they got a win, even though the Bills, you know, didn't play all their their guys. Uh, a win is a win. You know they're not going to throw it back. You know the Eagles didn't uh, didn't get knocked for beating the Jets when they had Luke Falk at quarterback, so the Jets shouldn't get knocked for winning this game when the bills were resting a lot of guys, uh, you know, I think guys are happy that they went six and two in the second half of the season after starting one and seven, you know, there's a lot, we've talked about this. I feel like for the last four weeks and it was the topic in the locker room, can this carry over, can it finish carry over? You know, we had Brandon Marshall on the podcast last week and he said, no, it doesn't carry over. And I tend to agree with Brandon because you, you can't, you don't can't understand how much a team changes from year to year. Um, in football with 53 guys, there's so much turnover. And not just the, the top of the roster, but the bottom of the roster just churns, uh, especially with a first-year GM. Joe Douglas is going to be looking to put his stamp on this team. So there's going to be a lot of new guys that have nothing to do with this season. I will say this. It beats the alternative, all right? So, like, you know, losing the last four or losing or going two and six to end the season is worse because then you're – I think people would have been questioning – you know, the future of the franchise. I do think Adam Gase won the players over in the second half of the season. Jordan Jenkins praised him today for the way he held everyone together at one and seven and never really wavered. Uh, so I think I think that was important. I think it's also important that Sam Darnold will be going into his second year with Adam Gase. So the, you know, the problems that they had this year kind of getting used to each other and that whole kind of first two months of the season, you know, after Sam, well, the first, the second month of the season after Sam came back from the mono and he really struggled there for a while, that was kind of growing pains, I think, in the offense. And since then, they've gotten better. It's only going to help him to have another year in the offense uh, and not have to start from scratch. So I do think that helps uh, the way the season ended. Um, but you know, they're they're basically starting from scratch now with uh, with you know building the 2020 roster, and they've got to figure out they have some tough decisions to make in the off season. Uh, you know, I think the big ones that you're looking at are what do they do with Robbie Anderson, who's going to be a free agent? Do they pay him like he is a top wide receiver or do they, they show some fiscal responsibility and not pay him and figure out they can, they can find speed some, some other place. Uh, do they try to trade Le'Veon Bell? I don't think that they can trade Le'Veon Bell because of the contract. Uh, and then Jamal Adams, you know, they, they, almost traded him at the trade deadline or they talked about trading him at the trade deadline. Would they look to move him again if they could get 
a first round pick and two second round picks or something like that. To me, they're going to pay Jamal Adams. That's what I think. I think he showed in the second half of the season how important he is to this team. He's due to make $3.5 million next year. He's a much better player than that. He's going to be looking to be the highest paid safety in the NFL like he should. And I think the Jets will do it. I do. I think Joe Douglas and Adam Gase want to build around Jamal Adams. So while in October I was kind of leaning towards he might be gone, I think he'll be back. Uh, so to me, those are the three big ones. There's a lot of other unrestricted free agents that they're going to look at. Obviously, the offensive line needs to be priority number one. They used their ninth different offensive line combination on Sunday in Buffalo, which is incredible. I mean, I think about the glory days uh, of the Jets in like 2008, 2009, 2010, where it was the same guys every single week. And now they've used 11 different starters this year on the offensive line. And that, to me, has been what has colored everything from Sam Darnold to Le'Veon Bell. It's been hard to evaluate them with this offensive line. So, you know, from an evaluation standpoint, it'd be nice if Joe Douglas can make this offensive line stronger next year and you can get a better read on Sam Darnold because, you know, they went seven and six with Sam Darnold at quarterback this year. He missed the three games with Mono. He finishes with 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, which is better numbers than his rookie year, but not by a lot. So I still think you're going to be entering year three of Sam Darnold a little bit unsure of just, you know, how good he is. And, you know, I think the Jets, they need to figure that out in year three because it's going to become a point where they're going to have to make a decision whether he's the franchise quarterback that they want to pay long term. And Kaz, just to give you the fans perspective here, it is a complete unknown as a fan. I mean, you're not really happy with seven and nine and you're not really mad at it because, yes, they did show fight in the second half of the season. But when you yeah. look at the games they won, they beat a bunch of terrible teams. And even that win over the Raiders at the time, while it looked good, we're talking about a Raiders team that finished the season awful and they lost again yeah. today and they missed out in the playoffs. So really none of those wins came against proven teams. And even today against the bills who are a proven team threw a bunch of backups out there. So you look at their second half schedule and beating a lot of lousy teams. You can't really take much away from that. What the stat you mentioned that you take away from is that Darnold went seven and six. He had an over 500 record and that's the one positive you take into the off season. But I do think coming from the fans' point of view that there is a lot of work to do to this team. Like you mentioned, I don't yeah. think you pay Robbie Anderson. I don't think he's worth it. I think you've got to spread the money elsewhere. I do think he needs another target. But as you said, the offensive line has got to be fixed. But if you're a fan right now, you're not really happy and you're not really frustrated. You're just like, blah. You don't really have a, think, a true emotion. Yes, you know, you said the Jets beat terrible teams. The Jets are a terrible team. Like, that, that's the thing. Like, this is a terrible team. Uh, you know, if you go through the roster, especially when the injury, you take the injuries into account. Like, I kind of laugh that, that people are, like, downplaying um, what they that they won this game because the Bills weren't starting the stars. The Jets had a third-string left guard, a third-string right guard, a second-string center, a third-string wide receiver in Vincent Smith, a third-string tight end in Daniel Brown, and that's the offense. Now you go over the defense, and they have Arthur Mollette and Maurice Kennedy. Do you have a Maurice Kennedy jersey, Jake? I can't he, say I own one. I have to get that customized, actually. So they have them on cornerback. You know, James Burgess, who has played really well, uh, but, again, you didn't have him you know, in your lineup in the beginning of the year. He was starting like – they, I get it that the Bills rest of the guys, but the Jets had mostly backups playing as well. It's not, not like they were at full strength. So 
Um, they're a bad team. This is a bad team. This roster is bad, and that's why Mike McCagden was fired in May. Remember, like he was mm-hmm. fired, and like if you go through the drafts, they've been terrible. So, yeah, they have a lot of work this offseason. And, and Joe Douglas, this is his offseason, Kaz. I mean, he's got it all yeah, himself. Yeah. He's got the draft. He's got his coaching staff. He's got the guys he'd want. It's up to him now. McCagnon screwed a lot of things up. And, and th- something that's overlooked is special teams. I mean, I mean, they were awful. Sam Thicken sucked this year. Vedvik got cut quick. Uh, they just had a terrible special teams unit. They let Andre Roberts go for nothing. And I know kick returning and punt returning isn't the same as it used to be, but it's still an important part of the game, and the Jets missed out on having good special teams, and, and that was overlooked in a bad season. When you lose close games with bad kicking, it really costs you. I agree with you on Ficken, but Braxton Berrios led the NFL in punt returns. He had the highest average in punt returns. So they weren't terrible across the board, and I thought – um, you know, the kick, kick returns are basically dead mm-hmm. in the NFL. Uh, but I thought the punt return unit actually was pretty good uh, the second half of the season with Barrios, and they were good on coverage. Uh, I don't remember if – I don't think they gave up any uh, returns for touchdown this year. I could be wrong. I'm, I'm, I can't remember the entire season off the top of my head. They had a block punt in Baltimore, so they had some things. But thick, I mean, the big thing was we were talking about kicking in the beginning of August. You know, like when Catanzaro started missing kicks, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't bring back Jason Myers, who hasn't had the best season in the world either, in fairness to Mike McCagnan. But then it was like, then it was um, uh, Taylor Bertolette came in and he was bad. And then Car- if Corey Vidvik, who basically cost them that week one game, you know, they lose 17 to 16. He missed an extra point and missed a field goal. And then Ficken, who was just up and down all season and, you know, had a bad game on Sunday, missing, missing a the 51 yarder, I don't kill him on, but missing the uh, 34 yarder was really bad. I'll close it with this before you hand it off to your esteemed colleague, the savvy veteran. It's your move, Joe Douglas. It is your move, bald fellow, bald headed man, to take this team to the next step. You got your quarterback. Give the running back and offensive line a block for him, too. I don't think you should trade Le'Veon Bell, and I don't think there's anyone that wants that kind of contract. So it is your move, Joe Douglas. All right, I want to welcome in now New York Post football columnist Mark Canazero. Mark was at the Jets-Bills game with me in Buffalo. And uh, after the game, Mark caught up with Jets CEO Christopher Johnson and spoke to him about his feelings about this 7-9 and nine Jets season. So, Can, can you just kind of summarize, you know, what Christopher Johnson told you and, and how he felt about this year? Yeah, Kaz, I mean, I, I caught up with him in the locker room, after the locker room uh, period where he kind of – popped over and congratulated all the players. And I just asked him, you know, if he felt this was a half full or half empty, you know, glass right now with this season. Uh, obviously he was very delighted that they, you know, they, they, they finished six and two. Um, he is very fired up about seeing what him, what, what Adam Gase and general manager uh, Joe Douglas can do this off season. He loves the way they work together. He was very enthusiastic. The first thing he said was, look, I'm not happy about where, we are right now, uh, but he, the word he used, for, you know, when I asked him what his emotion was today was wistful, and I thought it kind of summed it up because he really, you know, he, he told me he felt like they should have been competing for a playoff spot, particularly the way they played in the last, you know, last part of the season, finishing six and two. Uh, one of the things I talked to him about was, you know, when they were one and seven, cause as you know, uh, you know, he, you know, he spoke to the players and, and basically said, you know, Adam Gase is here to stay. I believe in him. I, I believe in what we have going on here. And, you know, that was, you know, whether I, I call it almost unwittingly to some degree, I don't know what the, that Christopher thought that was going to be a sem, you know, seminal moment to the season. If there can be such a thing in a seven, nine season. 
but that turned things around. I mean, I think that kind of that stabilized things. It calmed the locker room. It kind of quieted the noise, the outside noise of you know the fans and media calling for Gase's job after eight games, which was preposterous in the first place. So you know, I, you know, he was very funny because when I mentioned that to him, he was very, very uncomfortable about taking any credit whatsoever about that. Obviously, you know, for you know those of those of us who know Chris and you know the readers that read about him, you know, he's a very humble guy, and uh, you know, he wanted no part of taking any credit, but he, you know, he was very positive about what what went on, and he's looking forward to kind of taking this to the next level next season. Yeah, it's funny. I, I wrote this, I think, last week in my rewind after the, the game, after the win over the Steelers. And a lot of people have asked me, like, you know, because I, when I was saying Gase should be fired and I was maybe more uh, bullish on Adam Gase than others. And they asked me, well, what are you seeing? You know, and it's hard to explain that because uh, when the team is losing, there's nothing you can say that fans want to hear. But one of the things that stood out to me is, Adam Gase and Joe Douglas being on the same page, like and Christopher Johnson, and even Jaime Elhai, the new president. Mm-hmm. Last week after the Steelers game, Joe Douglas and Adam Gase were in the locker room together, just hanging out, talking, and it's something I haven't seen in a while because you know Todd and and Mike Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan just didn't have much of a relationship. John Idzik and Rex Ryan didn't like each other. They had no relationship. <laughs> and so it's been since like Rex and Tannenbaum that that this so. And look, does that translate to wins? I don't know if it does, but, but it can't hurt. It can't hurt. It can't right? hurt. And it just feels like they're 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 not dysfunctional right now. Like they they didn't have a great season, seven and nine, no parades. But I just feel like they're kind of moving in the right direction. Listen, I think what what every Jet fan should be intrigued about right now is to see what Joe Douglas is going to do this offseason. because yeah. you know he came in late, you know, and and he hasn't he made a couple of moves, one of which didn't work out with 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 Ryan Khalil, the center you know, which we all thought actually was a halfway decent pickup at the time and it didn't work out, but you know, they also made a couple little small moves that did work out. And, and this off season right now is all about Joe Douglas and what he does to fix the offensive line, which clearly needs to be taken care of. I'm highly intrigued about what they're going to do about Le'Veon Bell. I, you know, as, as I've been very vocal in my column saying, I think they should keep him. He, they, 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 this is a team that doesn't have a lot of talent on offense in the first place, and they shouldn't be farming the talent out. And, uh, you know, unless they're going to get some proper high round draft pick, you know, first or second rounder, which is not going to happen. Um, I think they need to figure out how to use Bell, which they didn't do very well today either, in my opinion. Yeah, the Bell thing is so tricky to me because he carried, he had 21 touches against Buffalo, which that's a good number of touches. They went away from him in the third quarter, but they only had, they had three and out in the third quarter. Then they went empty with no running back for a while mm-hmm. and they scored a touchdown on that drive. He averaged 2.6 yards a carry. Like it wasn't working. Like it's not like yeah. he was he was gaining five yards a, a, a carry, and then they were like, okay, we're not going to go to him. It was know? working in the first half, though. I mean, he had you know 12 for 45 in the first half, which is modestly decent running production. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, you average that out to 24 for 90. You know, that's not a bad day. No. So, and I'm not, listen. I'm not saying they got to feed him every single time. Yeah. I, I listen. I'm not going to nitpick about the game today. They, they won the game. It right. was ugly. The Bills didn't play Josh Allen. I get it. You know, after two series, I get that. I'm not going to poke holes in this. You know, I, one of the things that annoys me a little bit is the Jet fan. I, I don't understand. I mean, Jet fans should be delighted with any victory. <laughs> and th- there's people out there poking holes in the six and two finish because the because the the schedule was not tough. Well, the Patriots played an easy schedule the first half of the season, went eight no. You know, yeah. so nobody was poking holes in that. You, you play who you play, and and. Uh, you know, this this has to help in some manner 
you know, just to, you know, listen, it stabilized, you know, the season, which, which could have gone to three and 13, or as we've spoken on this podcast before, mm-hmm. you thought it was going to be one, one and 15. 15 at one point. I thought, <laughs> so. yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And the whole, like the jets aren't a good football team. So like the, the, the fact that they're beating bad football teams, well, okay. They're a little bit better than, than some of these bad teams. And they, you know, there were some teams that the Steelers aren't terrible and they beat them and the Raiders aren't terrible and they beat them. They, and they proved they can lose to anybody losing to the Bengals. So I, yeah, I agree with you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, they shouldn't have to apologize for any wins. And it was and like this win over the bills, which was, there was a lot of backups. Well, the jets are playing a lot of backups. They've been playing them all year. You know, yeah. like Brent Quali was starting at guard today. Connor McDermott, you know, uh, is starting at guard. I don't think fans knew who Connor McDermott was a few months ago. So uh, I agree with you. Go now, now, like you just you touched on Joe Douglas. What to you is the the biggest storyline in the off season? What's the biggest thing Joe Douglas uh, you're going to be looking for from him? Well, the biggest thing for me is 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 rebuilding the offensive line. Uh, you know, we talked about it, I believe, on last week's podcast. You know, the, they played a Bills team that revamped its offensive line last year. Uh, had four new starters this year. Whether the Jets have four new ones next year, I don't know. But I, I got to think three should be the good over under on new on new starters. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously they need to do something. You know, um, their, their their past defense was wasn't great this year. They got cornerback issues. You know, it's funny. Bless Austin. Did he see the field? I mean, we didn't play. We have literally been praising this guy as this great find, and he gives up a, a terrible touchdown last week, and now he's banished, <laughs> you know. But so, I mean, the point being, obviously, Tremaine Johnson was never the answer, you know, as we yeah. found out. Uh, so, you know, I think they need to fix the back end a little bit. They've got two, two terrific safeties. And I mentioned, listen, I mentioned Bell. Don't mess with, you know, with Jamal Adams. I mean, I, I yeah. think that stuff's been smoothed over since that nonsense around the trading mm-hmm. deadline where there were some hurt feelings and whatnot. Um, I don't trade Jamal Adams unless you're getting two first-round draft picks for the guy, in my opinion. I mean, that guy, you have to build around guys like that. So I think the offensive line first, fixing the back end, everybody's looking for bass rush. You know, you know, I, I get it, but they got to fix that offense. I mean, they're ranked 32nd in the league. Yeah. You know, and, and this is supposed to be, you know, Adam yeah. Gase's specialty. So I think you know, you've already proven with Greg Williams and that defense what he can do even just with spare parts. Yeah. You, you upgrade that defense a little bit on the back end, then he can start blitzing a little bit more and be more aggressive. You know, now you're going to have a more, you know, disruptive defense. But fix the offense and start with the offensive line. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's a good point. Greg Williams has been playing a lot of cover, too, which it can't make him happy because he doesn't trust those cornerbacks. But Bless Austin was a DMP. He didn't yeah. get one snap. And, like, Daryl Roberts started the first eight games of the season – and he hasn't been on the, he's been played safety when Jamal was hurt, yeah. but he hasn't played cornerback <laughs> since. Like, and I love it because that was one of the things that always frustrated me about Todd Bowles was he never benched guys. And like, he, he would just let them run them out there, run them out there. And like, if, if Greg Williams doesn't like what you do, you know, you're, you're done. And you wrote about Greg Williams in the Sunday post and you're right. I mean, he did a phenomenal job. This year, I was skeptical when they hired him, Very but obvious. I was completely wrong about Greg Williams. He, he's been he's been great. What about um, Robbie Anderson? Can you haven't touched on him? You know, what do you, where, where do you stand on him? I stand on him, and I don't trust him. Uh, you know, and I know that sounds a little harsh, but I don't trust him. For, you know, I mean, people are talking about him getting fourteen million dollars a year, fifteen million dollars a year, which is preposterous for Robbie Anderson. I'm sorry, no offense. He came on a little bit. He didn't have a very good game today. I think he had a little bit of a, he had a drop, I thought, today. Yeah. Um, you know, did not. But he has made great strides, very, very good strides, I would say, in the last month. But 
listen, I am all for them keeping him because I, I think it's good continuity with Sam Darnold. But I would not give that guy a dime more than $10 million a year. And if he's going to get more than that on the, on the open market, then let him go. Yeah, my, my my philosophy on him is I'd let him test the market. Yeah. If and if someone is going to pay him fourteen million dollars a year, God bless him. Sign go her. go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And if he but if he comes back and says, oh, you know, uh, the Dolphins offered me four years, ten million a year. I said, all right, I, I would do that. I agree with you. Ten million dollars a year seems like a good number for him. Uh, he just isn't consistent enough for me to go crazy on him and. He has off-field baggage too, which worries you. That's been so. the off-field baggage has been quiet now in yeah. the recent year and a half or so, but that is looming out there, right? Well, especially I mean, when you pay a guy, you're you pay a guy fifteen million dollars a year. I mean, yeah. he's you know, look at the trouble he's gotten into making <laughs> two or three million dollars a year. You give him fifteen, what's what's going to happen next? You can you know? have a lot of fun in South Florida with yeah. fifteen million dollars in your pocket. All right, Cam. Well, thanks for uh, joining the podcast for the end of the season here. I'm sure we'll talk to you in the off-season plenty. Um, you know, we got plenty to discuss with the Jets this offseason, and we'll be doing it here on Gangs All Here. I want to welcome in now Brad Smith. Brad played for the Jets from 2006 to 2010. He was a member of the team that went to back-to-back AFC title games. Then he played for the Bills and Eagles in his career as well. Uh, Jets fans remember Brad as such an exciting kick returner and the Wildcat. Uh, and, and, you know, such a big player on those those teams in 2009, 2010. Uh, Brad, take us back to to when you were drafted by the Jets. And, you know, you obviously were such a, you were a great quarterback at Missouri and put up such big numbers at Missouri. Did they did you know immediately that, that you weren't going to be playing quarterback in the NFL? How did that transition go? And, and what did the Jets tell you when they, they took you? Um, I mean, just uh, from the all the workouts and everything. Pre uh, pre draft, it was you know, I was throwing for every team. I don't think I really did anything else for anybody um, at another position. So it was kind of like you know, there's a chance I play another position, so there'd be a chance I could be drafted to play quarterback. Um, so when the Jets called and Coach Wayne Jenny was like, "Hey, just you just come in and do uh, come in and help the team wherever that looks like," so um, it was kind of up in the air of, of where they would put me. And then, you know, once they got here, it was just a lot of, a lot of everything uh, thrown at me. <laughs> Do you, had you uh, done any of that before? Or had you always been a quarterback your whole life? Or had you, had you ever returned kicks before? Uh, I think I returned one in high school when like all our punt returners got hurt and all our kick returners. Okay. Um, so I just went back there, uh, just had an emergency. But no, other than that, never, never just, you know, always been a quarterback. So we uh, earlier in the year we had Mike Westoff on the on the podcast, and Westoff's oh, one of yeah. the great characters of all time. So what was it like <laughs> when when you got you got Westoff uh, coaching you up uh, on special teams? Man, he was tough. Man, that's that's first you know couple interactions with him was like he sets the tone and kind of for me it just helped me to give me an approach to the game of football. You know, as a professional, how to how to attack it, how to prepare. Um, just meant, and have the mentality to uh, to be successful. He was, I mean, just not just the way his schemes and everything, but just how he um, how he pushed us and how he knew how to tap into each individual player to get the most out of them. And uh, man, that's, that's one of my favorite coaches ever. That your draft class, I mean, that that's the last really good draft class the Jets had. That was a pretty incredible draft class with Nick and Brick at the top, and you and Leon, Eric Smith. Um, yeah. 
you know, that, that was a really good group. Did you, did you see that right away that you guys had a lot of talented rookies? Uh, man, we didn't, I, I know actually for me personally, I don't think we had the, the time to think about anything. Um, Coach <laughs> Mancini just had it. He had us. He was, he was really, I don't know if he was trying to kill us or trying to break <laughs> us like horses, but like we did so much, uh, so much practice, so much off the field. We were so together, um, together so much, uh, you know, and always being tested, always being challenged mentally and physically that, you know, we were just like, even, you know, I don't know if, if Brick and, and Nick and those guys were thinking that we were just trying to make sure we didn't get cut. So, um, <laughs> you know, you don't have time to think about anybody's talent. You just try to, you know, do what you can to stick around. Yeah, I, I joke sometimes that the 2011 CBA, the practice rules now, um, yeah. Those are those should be called the Mangini rules. <laughs> oh, there's, think, no, there's no question. There's absolutely no question. Yeah, I think strange. a lot of I think a lot of those were created because of Eric's practices. Um, oh, I, yeah. What was it like playing for Mangini? You know what I, I mean. He, I probably learned the most about preparation from Coach Mangini um, out of all the places I played and, and coaches. I mean, just his level of detail and. I mean, you had to know where the guy went to school, what he did with his <laughs> off time. If he had a black belt in the fourth grade, like, if he, <laughs> like, just, you really had to know everything and you would be tested in front of the whole thing. So, um, you, you didn't want to look like you didn't care. So, you would do everything you could and guys would have their notebooks open, you know, nonstop taking notes because you never know what Coach Manzini will have in it. So, um, just the level right. of preparation and understanding your job, man, just made it, uh, man, it was, it was it was good for us. We knew we knew what most teams were doing before they did it. Then what was it? What was the transition like when Rex Ryan became the coach in two thousand nine? Um, it was it was it was it was a little bit uh, relaxing. Um, of course, mm-hmm. just personality wise, but um, I think a lot of us that were already there carried that same you know, kind of Mangini mentality as far as preparation. Kind of yeah. once you get in that habit, it's it's hard to break out of. Um, but with the addition of Rex, which, who gave you that, that freedom to, to cut it loose, uh, was kind of like the perfect combination for us as a team. Now, I remember um, when the Wildcat craze started, Leon did the Wildcat first, I remember. They used to call I think they used to call it the Seminole, right, for him because he went to Florida State. The, when, did you, when did you start doing the Wildcat stuff, Brad? Um. I think it was about the same time. I think, I mean, it was the package. It was a, the similar package and then the zoo package. Okay. So it was kind of in at the same time. Um, but Leon was already, you know, taking steps at running back. So it was kind of um, just kind of easier to just, he's already in the game. So um, just go play, you know, get behind the center or take a direct snap. So it was, it was you know, about the same time. And what, what was that experience? I mean, because that became like such a big thing. Uh, the Wildcat when the Dolphins started doing it and it kind of became a um, a league-wide uh, rage. What, what was it? Yeah. You know, what was your comfort level doing that? And I know Rex loved yeah. you doing that. Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, it was just playing football. It's, you know, you're just playing quarterback and you, they just have to, they have to account for 11 players now. I think, I think actually we did it maybe a few games before New, uh, Miami. We, we did it against New oh, England yeah. at New England. And then, and then, I mean, we didn't do, do it wholesale like uh, Miami did it, which it was almost every right. dog on down. But we, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, we did we did against New England. But I mean, like a package of like ten to fifteen plays we ran. So I mean, I, I right. loved it. It was just it's what I've done, you know, 
my whole life, you know, so we're kind of like just, just felt natural. Right. Um, what's your mem? What's your favorite memory of those those championship game runs in two thousand nine, uh, two thousand ten? Oh man, just the just the practices, just the the intensity of you know you talk you hear it all the time like all the practices and that's what made teams you know teams great or whatever. But like literally like yeah. when you got Damian Woody and um, you know the Brigashaw, Nick Mangold, Wayne Hunter. Brandon Moore, you know, against, you know, Sean Ellis, um, Sione Pua, um, um, JT, Jason Taylor, Mark, you got those type of guys going to each other. And then the receivers with Braylon and Jericho and Santonio against Rivas Camardi. And uh, you got Jim, I mean, just the, the level of intensity that was happening on a daily basis um, was incredible. So just, I mean, we had, we probably had our best games in practice. Um, just that intensity was so cool. To, it was so cool to be around. And then, I, and you left. You were a free agent, right? In two thousand eleven, was that that was yeah, when you yeah. left? And mm-hmm. that was the lockout year. Um, right. Was there was there ever a chance that you were going to be back with the Jets? How did that? Because that was crazy. Because you guys couldn't really negotiate yeah. until the lockout ended, and it was like one week until training camp. How did it, how did that it, go? It, yeah. That was that was crazy, man. I wish it had been different, but you know it, it was what it was. But yeah, like I said, we had like a week, uh, so you couldn't be in the facility, you know, doing yeah. rehab and working out. So you never really got to see anybody. And then, I mean, I always made it clear that I wanted to be a Jet. You know, I wanted to always stay a Jet. And you know, if we you know reached out, reached out, and you know they were just weren't and, and resigning. So at that point, you you kind of got to move on and um, you know trying to best as we could so that's where we end up in buffalo what was it like going what was the, the difference going to buffalo how like how much of a culture change was that for you you know being it was a, different... a shock man <laughs> yeah it was a shock um you know even of course the jets had we had built a new facility and uh, had been having some success have all these uh you know playoff runs and everything and then you get to a team that hadn't necessarily had that and you you kind of you know you kind of expect certain things as far as you know the um, you know the medical stuff, the recovery stuff, and it's not really at that time. I think now they just um, they've upgraded a lot of things. But you know, right. the Jets were just so far ahead with you know John Melody, the trainer, and all those guys. It was just coming in there, and you know, something's bothering you, Jets. You get it taken care of right away. But when they got there, it was like uh, you know, it the process was a little bit longer and a little different. So it was definitely a shock. Um, you know, it's just how it is. That's how the business goes. So. Um, right. You know, just try to make the most out of my experience. You you made such an impact as a kick returner. I don't know how much you watch now mm-hmm. um, the NFL, but like they basically killed the kick return. Like it's it's right. not it's not the play it was when you were playing. Uh, you know, what do you think about you know? Obviously, it's safety reasons they've done it, but what do you think what about what they've done to um, the kickoff and kickoff return game? Yeah, I thought I got the Chiefs return one um, today. I think Hardman. Okay. So, I mean, it's still making an impact. Uh, he's like 104 yards, but mm-hmm. it's making an impact. I, I can understand the safety purposes, and, you know, at the end of the day, we, we all sign up for it, um, kind of know what's going into it. But uh, I, I if they keep it like it is now, uh, I, I think it'll be okay. Um, you still get guys, and I think strategy may start to change where you try to really um, even more of those pop-up kicks to try to get teams to, right. to tackle them inside the 20. 
I, I think it will all evolve over time. But um, this, you know, I'm glad it's still around and has been totally eliminated. But and it does take a little bit of the fun away uh, from watching for sure. All right, Brad. Well, I really appreciate you joining me on this. You can follow Brad on Twitter at Real Brad Smith. Uh, Brad, thanks for taking the time. And Jets fans still talk about you know what what you did uh, in the Wildcat in the return game. So I, I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Brian. Man, I appreciate you guys having me. A lot of fun. That will do it for this episode of Gangs All Here, our New York Jets football podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our producer Jake Brown for making the show happen all season. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Jets news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We will see you all next Monday in 2020 for an NFL playoff edition of the podcast. Have a happy new year, everybody.